Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And we are in, friends, as you know, following a difficult Game 6 loss for the Brooklyn Nets. Doug and I are going to get into it. This was another slow start for Brooklyn, but they mixed in elements of sloppy play as far as protecting the basketball early and, uh, again, struggled in a lot of different areas of the game. Rebounding, perimeter shooting wasn't there, but unlike other instances, Milwaukee did a lot of things right that led to them getting this win. So we'll break down what went right, what went wrong, And then also send you into Saturday with some silver linings around James Harden, around Kevin Durant, and what we think can still be the positive approach to taking Game 7 back in Brooklyn. Let's dive in. But first, the theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. You know me, Doug Norrie, owner operator DFSR.com. If you need a projection for these playoffs for the NBA, head on over to DFSR.com. And that is Adam Armbrecht with New York on Absolute Lock. He's the voice of the Brooklyn Nets on Sportscaster, also the host of the One Giant Podcast with his boy Andy Mack, talking about Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and all of the New York Giants. Buddy, I kept my voice excited. As I could, I'm, I'm faking it here. How are we feeling after a game six uh, loss? Nobody cares about Eeyore. Am I right, friends? <laughs> Nobody, Nobody's going to give any sympathy, in case you're wondering, Nets fans, to the Nets losing this game. This was... It, it, talk about like a pendulum swing, right? We get yeah. historic Kevin Durant performance, Nets win at home, big game, hard and gutting it out. And then you go ahead and, and you do this, where you just kind of come out, and, and in, in a lot of regards, we're going to get into it, you do you go through a lot of the same kind of motions that you went through in Game 5, only this time you were in Milwaukee, and it, it doesn't pan out for you, and there's actually even a couple of, of extra elements that the Nets went ahead and threw into the pot of things you don't want to do when you're trying to close out a series on the road. Yeah, it was a uh, it was kind of a rough one basically from start to finish. There were moments, there were moments in here where you felt like you could start to believe a little bit that they were going to pull themselves back into the game, uh, and they were there. And we'll talk a little bit about you know where those moments were and sort of what went wrong. But from just a high level, which we'll try to keep it out here to start this game. Even in those moments, like I, I was, it was funny about this because I, I was trying to actually just think very honestly about how I was thinking between game five and game six. At game five, at halftime, when they were down, whatever, 15, I don't know, they were down some, some number. I should have looked this up before I made this point, but they were down some number. And I really was going to tweet, like, the Nets are going to win this game because I really actually did believe it based on sort of what was happening in the game and what I thought could be some momentum swing and what I thought was sort of still going right for the Nets. Um, I thought there was a, a very good chance they w- could win. And 
I just never got that feeling tonight. Now, again, that's not real analysis, so I totally get it. That's just some dumb fan speak that <laughs> some guy sitting on his couch watching the game. But I do think it speaks to the sort of general, just overall gestalt of what was happening in this game, which was, yes, they were able to get close, but there was something of a hangover effect here where whether that's the Bucks crowd, whether they, they fall down early, whether the I mean, Bucks made some changes in this game for sure, uh, which we'll talk about, like whether these things were sort of stymieing them where they were getting bogged down into maybe just some on-repeat offense that wasn't really working. All these things, it just didn't have a feel of a game where I felt like the Nets were really in a flow. And it was really, like I said, like a, this is a holistic thing. It was it was more than just one thing that was that was there. It wasn't just like they were doing one thing poorly that they could correct. There was just a lot of things going wrong in this game. And when a lot of things go wrong for you, you end up getting blown out. And that's what ended up happening. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I, I said it tongue in cheek, but I'll own up to it. When Bruce Brown hit that knockdown triple, I was like, well, the Nets are going to win. Because because in a game when Bruce Brown does the thing that he never does, you almost feel like maybe that gives you some of that energy. But But to your point, again... The Nets come out slow to start a game. You'll lose the first quarter, 26-19, and, and frankly, cleaned it up a little bit from a scoring standpoint by the end of the quarter because it had all the feels of Game 5. You mentioned it. It was 16 at the break in the last game. But it wasn't just that. In Game 5, it was that they started out sluggish, and you had Harden back for the first time, and he's clearly hindered. So it's all these things that, that made that first quarter and even the first half of Game 5 seem kind of clunky. In this one, though, it was, yeah, a little bit lethargic or just coming out a little bit slow. Then you combine just a handful of really careless turnovers early in this game, too. And, it again, it just had this kind of, to your point, like it, it didn't have that vibe of, well, slow start. But if you work yourself back into your rhythm, you can see yourself getting there. And I think probably what was in the back of my mind that we talked about after after the Game 5 victory and the historic Kevin Durant performance was, hey, just remember, full 48 for Kevin Durant, 46 minutes for James Harden, you're not going to be able to go back to that well in the same way. And you're not going to be able to go to the to the Jeff Green 7 for 8 from beyond the arc well either. So some of those components that you were so elated by in Game 5 were not going to be repeatable in this one. And then you combine it in, as you said, with, with some adjustments on the other side from Milwaukee. And this one, I, I I don't want to say I didn't get some good feels at, at a couple of points because the Nets did surge oh, sure. occasionally. Yeah. But 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 unlike Game Five, where it felt like it was this building the, to the crescendo of the Nets coming back and winning the game, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, I'll give them credit. Because I, I said it out there in the Twitter sphere at 1.2. The Nets have won three games in this series, and they've also lost to themselves twice in this series. That's my general feeling around the first five games. This was one where I think when they had to answer the bell, the Milwaukee Bucks did. And, and that's credit to them on their home court in a, you know the same situation. A must-win game for them. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. Like, yeah, I was. There was definitely times where I was, I was, I was fully engaged the whole game, and there were those times where they cut it to five uh, twice, and it was looking like they were going to be able to pull, really pull back into it. Where I was, you know, I'm perking back up, thinking, "Oh, I'm happy to be wrong here, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm happy to be to, wrong. Big um, fan of being yeah, wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I love, love, love to be wrong. And then there was just you know backbreaking, middleton backbreaking three, you know, foul and one. 
um, unless you're not in one of uh, uh, three point foul uh, on Harris late in the game, like all this little stuff that kind of goes wrong. We'll talk about the offensive rebound piece in a second because that was obviously just a epic disaster uh, for them. But it was just like I said, like I, the, sometimes you can concentrate on just one thing from a game, and you can look at it and say, "Oh, we did this thing poorly," yeah. or "They did this thing." You know, they did this thing amazing. But really, when you try to look at it, I, I can list ten things on both sides. And like some of them, like you said, are going to be credit to what the Bucks did because the Bucks did clearly not. It wasn't like that. I don't think the Nets just lost this game, right? I think the Bucks won this game as much as the Nets lost it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so, and I think that's probably the point you were trying to make before was was that this was just there were so many things here with this game that was just that you just can't. I, I know Nets fans are going to want to put their finger on one thing, or they are going to choose their thing. <laughs> and there's a lot. The problem is there's so many things to choose from. You might just pick your thing, and that's that's what you want. Whether it's like a player that you thought played poorly, or you know the rebounding, or the you know momentum. But again, like these are all I'm li- I'm listing off all these things <laughs> as reasons that things kind of went wrong. So I would caution Nets fans to say there was just one reason where this went sort of haywire. It, it wasn't that. It was just they had a mashup of many mistakes and kind of system failures and not being able to kind of. Um, not being able to just kind of right the ship when they needed to be able to do it, not be able to make sort of adjustments that I think the Bucks were allowing them to do that they just didn't. So, again, the list is long because I think there's just lots of reasons they lost this. Yeah, and again, I'll harken back one last time to that that in-between quarter interview from Game 5 where Nash said he hated what he what he was doing, having to play Kevin Durant like that. And that's not and that's not the only that's not that again, the one reason, right? Pick out any number of reasons. It's not just the fatigue factor because we'll get into some of the lines here on the players and there's guys like Kevin Durant that still performed at a high level, but there, there's something to that though. There's still a cumulative impact of that and I'll this portion of it, I'll close out by saying that Milwaukee, who we talked about, man, did you steal the heart out of their chest? Is this going to maybe be an opportunity? And by the way, this game could have gone very differently if the Nets had come out crisper and come out offensively with a little bit more firepower and just kind of put their foot on the gas. Milwaukee may have folded early, but but when you start the way that you do, you allow Milwaukee to build their way to their rhythm slow and steady. And that's the kind of team that Milwaukee is. And that's why I think they're a team that when you talk about getting out ahead of them and then making it difficult for them to make adjustments, it's because they're they're this methodical kind of team. And when you when you start out slow like the Nets did, that's what you will that's what affords Milwaukee that that ability to say, okay, here we go. Let's establish the things that we like. Let's find our rhythm in certain areas. Let's not be so good in, in key areas for ourselves that we've been very good during the regular season in, and afford us to have some mistake areas and, and still find ourselves in a lead at the break. All right, we're going to get into some of the more some more of this game, uh, including the Kevin Durant performance, uh, some of the things that we saw go wrong for the Nets. A few things we saw go right. I think there's there are definitely some positives to take from this one as well. First, got to talk to you about our friends over at Rock Auto. Makes and models and cars and gears. Oh my God, you can you ever begin to sort through all of this as just your uh, you know, random car owner? Well, that's where Rock Auto helps you. Don't go to that local spot where they uh, might be out of the park or they disappear into the cavern. You'll never know when they're going to come back. But you can still kind of take care of your car with a little bit of research, and that's where Rock Auto comes in. 
easy searchable database for make and model the exact car parts you need to get everything fixed up plus 30 or 50 percent savings off of those local places you're not going to beat it chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers you're a do-it-yourselfer that's why you got to go head over to rockauto.com to get those better prices a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years rockauto.com you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle choose the brands and specs and the prices you prefer plus it's always reliably low and the same for the professionals like i said as the do-it-yourselfers go to rockauto.com see all the parts available for your car or truck and when they asked how did you hear about us right locked on in that box and they'll know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the car, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com you know and of course uh, on our road to the finals the nba playoff coverage is brought to you by michelob ultra i got a prediction for you friends mark it down stamp it no erases brooklyn nets are going to win game seven and it's only worth it if you enjoy it at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories we could all enjoy these games just a little bit more this season so one of the things to give credit where it's due, when, when you go inside the stat lines and you see that fast break points, the disparity is plus 22 for the Milwaukee Bucks. Nets had just four points, by the way, on the break. So just to be clear, 26 to four there, it, it's a double down. It afforded Giannis to get his rhythm early because he was heavily involved in those fast break opportunities. And it allowed him to get downhill and attack at the basket instead of being a half-court set doing it, where the Nets have been able to stymie him sometimes in these circumstances. It's just open court. And it's where the limitations of a James Harden and the Nets defensively, you really saw it open up in a very free flow, and it played into Milwaukee, again, setting their tempo, their tone, their pace of play. And that's always the thing that I, I try to watch for early in these games. Which star, in this case it's Giannis, and which team is exerting their will or what they want to do on the offensive end. Yeah, it was clear they wanted to be able to cross match, and you can do that really easily in transition. And like the Bucks, a guy like Giannis will kill you and stuff like that. Like you, where where have they bogged down the most? They bogged down to the half court where they just get Giannis sort of dribbling around, where he's not the screener, where he's dribbling around the uh, you know the, the free throw line, and everything kind of just bogs down. Then like he takes a weird shot. Like that's what the Nets have hoped for. No, but all that stuff where he's just getting downhill really fast, even either in. Um, advantageous matchups, or like you said, in transition, that was really easy to see from the beginning where like they they clearly wanted to keep their foot on the gas with that because they have a massive advantage when that is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like the size of Giannis in, in, in situations like that or the um, mismatches you get uh, around the perimeter when you get him um, really kind of squared up with somebody that he's going to completely overmatch or when you pack the paint, all these things that can happen either in transition or when you're just in uh, disadvantageous defensive sets. Yeah, the the Bucks were clearly, clearly doing that from the very beginning. And it just got them kind of comfortable, right? They never, they never lost that comfort, I don't think, with that part of the game. Even, when, even at the times where it was, and this makes me a little worried for game seven, by the way, but like even the times where the Nets were making the comeback, the, I think the Bucks still thought they could go back to these pieces sort of if need be or they were still that was there for them even if when you know when drew holiday wasn't taking bad shots but like the for the most part like this is where i totally agree with you that 
this was actually the biggest thing I was worried about going into the series was this exact thing that just happened in this game. It took almost six games for it to happen. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like this very style of play here that made me very worried about what the Nets were going to be able to offer in terms of resistance. And it just turns out they really weren't. And when their offensive firepower can't keep up with it going the other way, it really, really does become pretty problematic because it's just so taxing on them. And they just had no answer there. And I thought it was interesting, too, because so the first quarter is a lot of Giannis establishing himself. The second quarter, though, and and this is where actually I I saw the Nets in Milwaukee in terms of you have star talent. And sometimes you can go ahead and say "Eh, a little bit of your turn, a little bit of my turn. First quarter was a lot of Giannis carrying the load. Second quarter, that's when you get Middleton starting to find his rhythm. And maybe to your point, too. When when you look in the box score, so we, we talk about fast break, but then you see seven to thirty-three from beyond the arc from Milwaukee in this. They were a disaster from deep. And were still able to to find their shots on the offensive end. And it wasn't it wasn't just that they were getting their looks, but the second chance opportunities and what was helping lead to the transition opportunities was what I can only say is an impressive feat. That multiple times, I'm talking a baker's dozen in this game, where multiple Nets players were there on the defensive and offensive end for rebounds, and somehow the Bucks ended up with the ball in their hands. Like, it was one of those things where, let me just protect you so you can come down with this rebound, and both guys were saying that same thing to the other, and it just bounced through them. And I don't know if that's, you know, you can go back to game five and talk about the lucky bounces on one side or the other, and sometimes it just feels like things are trending that way. This game did have that component to it, too, without taking anything away from what Milwaukee accomplished. Every little bounce went the right way for Milwaukee, and those things matter, and it can be fluky or whatever you want to call it, but it worked for them, and and that's what I thought allowed them to kind of go tier by tier because when you mentioned Holiday as well, he did not have a good game, and that was okay. One of the three big players for them was off, but when you get those little bounces, then you can afford to just kind of play through some of those other hiccups. Yeah, the Nets got smoked on the offensive glass. Uh, they had 36, oh no, excuse me, they had 15 offensive rebounds to the Nets nine. Uh, every single one of their offensive rebounds felt like a backbreaker um, just because it was after good, you, you know, typically felt after good defensive stops where they were kind of like slowly pulling themselves back into the game. Or let, you know, like I said, like that Middleton one at the end of the quarter where he just kind of puts it back in. Uh, all these little things that continued to happen over and over again. Giannis got one near the end of the game where he gets like, looked like his foot stepped out on the line, uh, but he was able to sort of pivot it back and up, go and kind of go up to the basket. All this stuff just sort of coalesced together to be again just a very sloppy game and then and the bucks for all their problems like you can't make a million mistakes against this team either because they will hound you defensively they will make they will force you into mistakes i thought some of the nets turnovers were boneheaded but a lot of them were just good defense too right like they're just long and they're causing problems and uh, yeah, I, I I do think actually what you saw from the Bucks in this game was repeatable for another game, and I'm a, a little concerned with that because, you know, they beat them by 15, and like you said, they didn't make any threes. So there's a world where this looks yeah. way there's a world where this looks way worse, and I actually don't think there was a lot of unlucky things that happened for the Nets. I think a lot of those little moments that happened for the Bucks were because they were simply outplaying them, right? Like I don't I don't like I don't think it was a bad luck thing. I think it was. You're just getting outworked. Now, is it a hangover from the last game that everyone's taxed and you're still playing with guys that are hurt? I think that those are elements of it, too. I'm just a little worried those aren't going to really improve for the next game either. And so, um, 
yeah, there just is a concern for me where I think the Bucks can kind of see this as, oh man, we took care of this team. We we kind of played bad, <laughs> right? Like, and yeah. I, and that is not something we've been able to say uh, so far for the series. Yeah, and I don't mean to, yes, and I don't mean to put it as the unlucky bounce or lucky. It wasn't lucky plays, and it's funny too because I know we're going to get into. Uh, no, you weren't saying lucky. You were saying little. I, I just yeah. I kind of just threw the word back in there. I don't but, think but, you. Do, I don't think you had said lucky at all. Okay, good. I wasn't sure. Sometimes you know what I mean. Never, I never know what I, I. I say some things and I move on to the next sentence. But the, but inside of that, because we're going to get into the silver linings here as far as going to Game Seven and around Kevin Durant, around James Harden. But early in this one, Harden looked like he was doing a little bit still what he had done in Game 5, which was in lieu of, of being the same player that he normally is at 100%, he was trying to still be a facilitator, but doing it from 20 feet away as opposed to from 7. So early in this game, there was a, th- those were the turnovers that I thought were just sloppy, careless ones. And Harden was the... The, the facilitator of those on a number of them. Kevin Durant took his turn at them too, getting in the second half, working his way down inside the arc and looking for Jeff Green a couple times on a little bounce passes into the lane. Now, on the one hand, you can say careless. On the other, specifically to Kevin Durant's looks, I thought Milwaukee was just doing a very good job being active in the passing lanes and cutting off a lot of those opportunities. So, you know, we said this before about can Milwaukee make adjustments? I don't know if that's an adjustment so much as just, hey, let's be focused in here. Let's be active as a sp- specifically when Kevin Durant or Harden has the ball in their hands. Let's try to be as active as we can denying access to teammates because then all of a sudden you shut it down and you create a bit of a log jam inside the paint where the shot clock starts winding down. And that happened on a number of possessions in this one where the Nets were just fi- first 15, 20 seconds of the shot clock was a lot of nothing. Before you got to a place where, okay, who has the ball in their hands? Go ahead and hoist it up. So that that's the element where you can say, was it Nets wasting possessions or the Bucks forcing the Nets into wasted possessions? And I, and I think, unlike in other games in this series, I, I put it more on the side of the things that Milwaukee did as opposed to what Brooklyn failed to accomplish. Yeah, um, no, I, 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 I agree with all that. And like I said, it just mostly runs along the theme of... Um, they were just doing things that were making it harder. This I don't think I, I'm going to stress this to Nets fans. I don't think this was a game that the Nets shot themselves in the foot. Well, I don't think you're saying this either. Shot themselves in the foot with. I think it was more of just. And this is my concern, right? It's like, okay, well, these things are things they may have just kind of figured out <laughs> here for the for the Bucks. And if that's the case, uh, this game seven is going to be uh, a real fight. We were going to talk about a little bit about the. Uh, and the takeaways that the positives that take away from this game, there were definitely some. Uh, first, going to talk to you about our friends over at Built Bar, very best protein bar on the market right now. Nine delicious flavors. Sometimes limited time flavors, but they got the classics: coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, salted caramel. That wasn't nine. You know, you counted yourself, but I just can't read it. I don't have the time to read all these things right now. Just know that all the flavors to the very last one are absolutely delicious. You're not going to believe they're an actual protein bar that's actually good for you. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, absolutely delicious. Right now, you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, so here's the good news. In a game that the Nets lost on the road, you're coming back home, first of all, for a Game 7. You, you, you'd sign up for that in most playoff series, especially against a team like the Bucks. 
The other pieces I, I mentioned, Milwaukee didn't shoot well from three. Neither did the Nets. They were 9 of 30 from beyond the arc. That included Kevin Durant going 2 of 8 from deep. And they weren't terribly good at the line. Only got there 14 times, but also only knocked down 8 of those opportunities. Again, that includes Kevin Durant missing his only two attempts at the charity stripe. But the positive, the other positives here are, let's. Uh, I'm going to lean into Harden first. Because in Game 5, it, this is a guy who was... Wanted to be out there for his team. We talked about the, the the galvanizing component of him being on the floor. Okay, great. But in this game, where he actually scored a bit, three of six from deep, he was good from the field, good from beyond the arc, still limited. But Doris Burke mentioned it on the on the broadcast that it's impressive to see a player that knows his body so well that he's capable of restraining himself from doing something that could potentially re-aggravate an injury. I think that... If you told me, to me it felt like night and day. From Game 5 to Game 6, this was night and day as far as how I feel about James Harden and what his impact can be in Game 7. Huge leap forward for him. Seems like he's progressing. That's that's my first silver lining. Period. Stop. You can go to Game 7 feeling like James Harden is going to be another step closer to full strength, and that is going to have a massive impact, as you would assume. If he makes the same gains that he made from this game to the, uh, from last game to this one, then you have to expect that... Uh... He's just going to be keep, continue to play better. He looks so much different, especially on the offensive end. As the game got going, as it was clear that he was getting looser, it was clear that he was feeling more confident, being able to just kind of plant into that left leg. Uh, we saw them. He wasn't front rimming shots the way he was in the first game. You know, obviously made fifty percent of his threes in this one, and so um, you know he's even getting back to the flopping game. So you know he's getting really confident because he was. Uh, yeah, that, Peter Bukowski shouted that out by the way on on Twitter. He uh, was like, "Oh, you know yeah. Harden's back when the flops are happening." <laughs> oh, did he? Yeah, I mean, it was so obvious. I mean, there were a couple of them were so egregiously bad, but whatever. Uh, yeah. So and I don't know. The NBA will probably take care of this eventually, but yeah, no. So, but but it just speaks to oh, he's feeling better that like they could actually go in. That's why he's kind of throwing him his body back. Also, so I felt confident with that. Uh, I felt confident, a little more confident with him at the defensive end. He was not a total turnstile like he was in the first game, um, where he was just getting blown by repeatedly. He actually, had a couple nice quick hand steals where he was able to keep his body in front of Middleton specifically later in the game, uh, but did it twice. I think he did it to Giannis too, where he was able to keep his body in front of him, not worry about getting the foul. And maybe he was kind of going for it because he knew he was half a step away from just maybe getting blown by. So he went for the steal and it worked out. There's, there's That could be part of it too. But in general, he just looked like he was moving better. And if he can carry over those gains into this next one, then I think we could get very a lot closer to an actual vintage game or uh, James Harden performance, and that is the kind of thing where if you stagger their minutes or play them the whole game together, that's a disaster for the Milwaukee defense. So I will take that as a positive. Um, I think that's something we can look forward to in the next game. Uh, I have another Kevin Durant positive, sort of, um, but I don't know if you had another one. No, no. I mean, listen, on the Kevin Durant side of it, it's just, listen, it, it maybe feels like an off night for the, the Nets team and for even Durant, you know, 50% from the field, you know, didn't look good from beyond the arc. And I, I think as you got into the latter stages of the third quarter and into the fourth, it was the, you know, same approach as game five. I'm going to try to press myself here. And when you look at the 30 shot attempts, the most glaring thing out of the box score is nobody else took more than single digits outside of Kevin yeah. Durant. So, you know, somebody has to be a part 
of this process. It's just like we said in Game 5. That game, it was Jeff Green. He showed up. Nobody quite got there for him in this one. And even though, you know, Griffin 12, Harden 16, you need another guy. Somebody else had to get into the mid-teens, into the 20s, obviously, to help this process along so that, just like in Game 5, when it's time to push the go button for Durant, he hasn't been trying to use that energy all the way throughout the game. And I, I think he probably, again, off of 48 full minutes, probably at some point was balancing himself in this one as well. And he just didn't quite have enough. That's all it is. But I still thought his game was sound, and I expect him to come back and probably have something closer to historic than quote-unquote average, if you want to call that this in Game 6. Yeah, for sure. You're concerned with the disparity in shots for him compared to everybody else. I think there was a sense that the role players were just... And maybe this is a worry, but maybe it's a thing you look forward to the next game. I'm not sure. The role players were giving you nothing. Jeff Green obviously came all the way back down to earth, even in the starting lineup. Uh, Blake just really didn't do much at all. A couple of nice offensive rebounds, but you, nothing really stood out. And Harris stunk again. Another, no other way to put it. Um, don't think it's a long-term thing for him, but it's clearly not helping himself here uh, in terms of like you know sort of the Nets collective. But really just role players across the board. There was just nothing there. And if, and if Harden's going to play 40 minutes again and take only nine shots, that's a problem. But again, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's going, I think we're going to see this kind of come back up next game um, if he's feeling healthy. So I think, I think there's a world where you look at the, sort of the, every, the everybody else game and say, we're just not going to repeat this again either. And so, um, I do kind of do take solace with that. And you go home, you get some crowd behind you, you get a little energy. And I think there's going to be something to be said for that. So if we're looking for silver linings, like that's sort of where I'm looking as, yeah, I know the Bucks also have some other numbers they can point to, but yeah, like you, like you said, the Nets do as well. And so you're always going to get, what you're going to get from KD and maybe they wanted to funnel this through him and just say like, you know, with sort of like what the Nets did with Tatum in the last series. Right. So it's like, yeah, dude, go ahead and do it. But no one else is getting anything else. If that's going to be the case, it's problematic, but I, I really don't, I, I feel like the personnel here is just too good for that to actually happen for a whole nother game. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, you know, in the vein of, because this will be, obviously, you're listening to it on Friday, fans, if you're out there, we won't be on before the Saturday game, the, the TBD still, as far as what time that game will officially tip off at, but let me ask from an adjustment standpoint on the net side of things, you mentioned, you know, Jeff Green gets into the starting lineup, Bruce Brown barely gets used at all. Now, I, I understand I understand why Bruce Brown hasn't been used as much, but it's it, it's interesting. As Harden gets healthier, then you would think it creates more flexibility back into the rotations. Do you, you know is there is the five guys here? Durant, Green, Griffin, Harris, Harden. We know that those are going to be big minutes guys. But you and I have talked about what's the sweet spot for Blake Griffin. He played thirty one in this third game back for Jeff Green. He played thirty six minutes. There's there's clearly going to be a fatigue factor here. I am a little curious to see if it, it's a both and. The Nets and Steve Nash looked at this and said, "Let's go with our shooters. Let's go with the hot hand and Jeff Green. Let's put him in the starting lineup. Yep. Let's let's try to keep that firing there." And let's try to make sure that if we go to a game seven, we can dip right back into the Bruce Bound sample size and know that he has played relatively low minutes here the last couple of games. And now you can push him as long as you need to use him as frequently as you want to. I, I'm just, I, you know, I'm trying to decipher about if it's basically these five guys and, and that's what you live nah, and die by in game seven. I think it's, I think it's these five guys and I agree with it. I think this is, this is what yeah. you need to go with. I, I, I don't see a path for Bruce Brown. I never did really against Milwaukee all that much. Um, I was wrong a little bit, but not really. It was surprising uh, though when he had the success he did early. 
Yeah, for sure. And they, I gotta say that one thing that did improve here, uh, for sure, on the, the one thing we didn't talk about with the Bucks was the interior defense got a lot better. Um, yeah. It felt like they were just turning them away. I, I, I was actually, I was actually kind of shocked that there was only six blocks by the Bucks in this game because it felt like so many more. Like I don't know if they were just more high profile ones, but it just felt like the contest at the rim, um, the size around the rim was just more problematic. That's always going to be a problem for Bruce Brown. I think it's just these five guys are bust, and I don't really see. I, I mean, I know Shamit's getting 20 minutes. I, he's, it's, I, I mean, it is what it is, but it doesn't really seem to move the needle all that much. If he's making his threes in volume, sort of, but that's not really coming with this. So um, I think yeah, it's like, these what's, five the, guys. what's the value of, of more Shamit for the offensive output versus more Bruce Brown for the potential defense upside? But again, that, that value is diminished against this type of line. That's what I mean. I don't, I don't think that. Size, I don't think yeah. that's why I don't think you guys can't play. You just can't. There's the size isn't there. You can't play these yeah. guys. I just don't. I think they've all seen it. This is why these minutes have kind of trended this way. And I think we're going to continue to see it. I, uh, I didn't run this by you, but I, I'm thinking that on Saturday we'll probably end up doing a locker room, right? Like, we're going to definitely podcast after the game. Uh, I think we'll probably jump into locker room, too. It's going to be either the Nets are eliminated or they're moving on. So I think it's going to be a big moment either way. So <laughs> I you're going um, to uh, experience real raw emotion, at least from me. I'll tell you that right now. Um, whichever way it goes, you'll probably get a real sense of, of my authentic emotions if the Nets win and <laughs> certainly if they fall. Yeah, so I think we'll do a locker room after that game so you can tune in over on locker room which is actually now Green Room uh, through Spotify. You can search for it either way. So Green Room or Locker Room, you'll find it either way in the App Store. Uh, We'll be jumping on there live after Saturday's game. Uh, which is obviously game seven, so it's either going to be a really nice end of the week or middle of the weekend, or it's going to be a different kind of part of the weekend. So we will see you there. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. The numbers continue to be great. Uh, just we're so thankful uh, as the season's trucked along, the the numbers continue to climb here for the podcast. Another great week there. Uh, the way you can help that totally free is just to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. And of course, you can get all the sports news that you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. It's your host, Peter Bukowski, updating you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of all of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast needs fulfilled. And hey, friends, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them, know when to walk away and know when to run. Let's run back to Brooklyn for Game 7, friends, from the legendary Kenneth Rogers. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again on Saturday night talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.